This episode is brought to you by Gato Negro Wines. Find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gato Negro Wine. Check them out on Instagram, username Gato Negro Wine. Sip the terror of your favorite TV series with Gato Negro Wines. Gato Negro, adored everywhere. is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 315, recorded on Thursday, March 23rd, 2017. Welcome to the end of March, everybody, and welcome to our listener feedback show for The Walking Dead Season 7, Episode 14? 14? 15. 15. Fif- 15. <laughs> it's very confusing. Is this the Ides of March? Is, is that where we are? I don't what, know. What are the Ides of March? I don't know. I'm not sure. All right. Well, beware of the Ides of March, my friend. I will. I will beware. I will. I'll watch out for those Ides. Yeah, you should. Listen, Jason, we don't talk yeah. about world events very much on this show. Real, no. real world events. We talk about zombie world events a lot. Yeah, the real world kind of sucks, so we, we usually stay away from it. The real world really does suck, especially in the last couple of days. And I'm sure, I'm sure, well, I hope I can speak for you in saying that our condolences go out to anyone affected by what happened in London, England yesterday. Absolutely. And I mention it only because... It kind of was a little bit close to home for me because I was there not even two weeks ago, walking across that very bridge like yeah. three or four times. Outside, yeah, that just uh, brings a palpitation to your heart. Outside the Parliament buildings, yeah. You know, I've never come that close to something like this, thankfully. And I know lots of people, you know, in parts of the world live with these sorts of things every day of their lives, which is just frightening. But... To, to hear about that and what happened and to have been there just, you know, just last week or the week before was really, really kind of crazy. So it is a bizarre world we live in sometimes. And I just wanted to say that, you know, it sucks that these things sorts of happens. And that's, that's an understatement, of course. Yeah. Um, but it's just sort of weird having just been there and then hearing about this kind of thing. So anyways, our thoughts and condolences to everyone who was affected by that stuff in London. And yeah, I'm sure, absolutely. I'm sure I speak for both of us when I say that, but you do anyhow, let's, uh, let's put that behind us for now and, uh, move into the listener feedback. Listener feedback. All right. Call. I start, right? I always start. <laughs> How does this podcasting thing work well, again? <laughs> it's hard, man. It's hard. When, when you have to when you have to talk about something as depressing as 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 that and then and then it's like, "Oh, let's uh, listen to a call." Yeah. This is Chris in Michigan and incidentally, this reminds me, a couple of episodes ago, somebody wrote or called in from the Mitten, and I wondered what the Mitten oh, yeah. was. Well, it's apparently it's Michigan. Yeah, well, you hold up your hand like this, and then like this, and it's Michigan. 
and then you can hold it. You hold up your hand, and, and you can point to it on the mitten, the Michigan mitten, and you can point to where you, where you're from or where you're going or whatever. So you you, you hold up your hand and go, I'm I'm going there. So you knew this already, and you didn't tell me. Well, absolutely, yeah. We I used to uh, the pipe band I was in. We used to go and do parades every weekend down in Michigan somewhere. And every time somebody asked me, "Where are you doing your parade?" It's like, "Oh, okay, Roger City. That's uh, there." Okay, all right. I didn't know that. That's that's an. I guess it's a nickname for Michigan, the Mitten. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's lovely country up there, boy. It's it's really nice, Michigan. I really like Michigan. Oh yeah, there's plenty of parts of of Michigan that are nice, especially up in the north, right? Well, you know, most of Michigan is kind of is really nice, but up in the north is is good. And uh, I'm telling you that in a in a, if there was a true zombie apocalypse, I'm thinking Mackinac Island, which is uh, just uh, just up, you know, what's here. I'm, I'm holding up my hand. It's it's right there, right near Mackinac City. Uh, yeah, He's... it's close to like uh, you know a very big waterway to be able to get places. Mm-hmm. And uh, the I-95 or I-75, I forget which one it is. I don't know. Why don't, brain. why don't you point to it on your hand? That'll help. <laughs> yeah, the big bridge there. Oh no, it's great. It's uh, it's wonderful. I'd go to Mackinac Island. I think. All right, Mackinac Island. It is. I I have a. I seem to recall you talking about that before, so yeah. uh, not even that long ago, but that's what happens when you do 315 episodes of a podcast. You hear the same yeah. shit over and over again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> happens. Anyways, Chris in Michigan, here you go. Chris from Michigan here, just wanted to uh, weigh in on the Dwight versus Daryl uh, poll. Chris, I'm completely on your side. It's like you took the words right out of my mouth. I 100% believe that it's Dwight, because if it was Daryl, there's no reason to hide him in the shadows. And as you said, it's completely set up with a hairstyle, the way he dresses, and the crossbow to try to throw us off. And I also agree that this will be the start of his plan to somehow switch sides in the battle. So, all right. Thanks, guys. All right. Damn it. I didn't (laughs) think of that. He's absolutely right. If it was Daryl, why hide him in the shadow? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it would be like, Hey, look, here's Daryl. Uh, it wouldn't be like, it would be a big majestic moment for Daryl, right? To show up yeah. there and be willing be ready to fight, ready to help. But no, he was hidden in the shadows. Yeah. Chris is right. Okay. I'm on board with, uh, with it being Dwight. Here's the other thing. Um, not too many people mentioned it, uh, wrote in about it, but those who did, I think universally pretty much said, yeah, it's Dwight. And, and then there were people on our Facebook page too, that commented when I posted last, uh, or the uh, recap episode there, pretty much all agreed that it was Dwight. So, you know, unless they really pull a fast one on us, I think we've sort of got this figured out. Yeah. And I can admit when I'm wrong. Of course you can. Uh, the and big... I, I, had, I can admit freely right now that I'm probably wrong, but you know, maybe I'm right. You've been right before. Don't forget. You've, you've called stuff on this show, um, that that nobody ever would have thought was callable, and then you came along and did it. So I've been wronger more than I've been writer. So uh, I don't know. Your 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 record is okay. Do you remember when I think it was? It was early on. There was a what looked like a zombie. It was the trailer. It was one of the summer trailers that released at Comic Con, and there was a shot of Rick, and it looked like there was a zombie way blurry behind him in the background. And everyone assumed that was a zombie back there and Rick wasn't paying attention. And you said, I don't think it's a zombie. And then it turned out to not be a zombie. It turned out to be that woman, the crazy woman whose husband's head was in a bag. 
Oh, right. She kind of looked like a zombie, though, because she was all dirty and stuff. Yeah, exactly. But you I, called I that. I have no memory of predicting that whatsoever. Oh, you did, man. You called that right there. And there have been other things, too. So I'm not totally going to discount your opinion, uh, except that I still think it's totally Dwight. If it's Daryl, they're fucking with us. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. But and, yeah, and I'd feel I'd feel crappy about that. So hopefully it's it's Dwight. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there, it wouldn't be the first time they fucked with us. Anyways, keep it going. All right, next we have an email from Lee in Devon, UK. Good morning, Chris. Hello. On the, re- on the recap this week, you said it didn't matter. Uh, the saviors took the hilltop's doctor. I actually yelled, holy crap, at my iPhone when I heard you say that. Here's why it's a big deal. First of all, Maggie and the baby may need medical help again. Second, and maybe more importantly, so far we haven't seen a doctor in the kingdom and we know there isn't one in Alexandria anymore. There's a huge fight coming and now the only doctor we've seen on the show is under Negan's control. If the scavengers have a doctor... Uh, the way those dudes uh, talk, nobody will understand a word anyway. Right. Rick and the allies are going to have casualties, but unlike the saviors, they won't be able to do much for them. So I don't exactly remember saying that it didn't matter that they were taking the doctor. I mean, it's obviously a big deal. You want a doctor in your community if you're going to have people around because inevitably inevitably, people will get hurt or sick or whatever, and it's handy to have a doctor around. Um, but... So I don't really remember saying that, but if I did, uh, I don't know what I was talking about because it's, it's a big deal. You need a doctor. And now there seems to be one doctor amongst four or five or six different communities, which just doesn't feel like enough. It, it feels kind of uh, Dr. Light. A little mm-hmm. bit Dr. Light. I would say you need one doctor per two communities, probably. Yeah. Having a doctor per two people would be nice. <laughs> That's probably too many doctors, but... You know, I don't know. Depends on what you're a doctor of, right? You'd be a medical doctor and then have a few, uh, you know, doctorates in physics and uh, have a doctorate of philosophy hanging around because, you know, that'd be fun. Yeah, it would. Um, You know, you could also, you also need dentists. That would be really helpful too. Nothing worse than an infected tooth or something in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. So maybe the odd veterinarian, you know. Uh, Yeah. Or a farmer. Farmer could do it. I, pinch. I guess so. Yeah. But if you have horses, you know, a vet would be good to keep the horses healthy. Yeah. A shropodist here and there would be good if you, you know, you got bunions and <laughs> need foot surgery of some kind. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to be the last proctologist in the zombie apocalypse, but you know. Oh I, man, you'd be up to your elbows and asses. <laughs> <laughs> you sure would. <laughs> uh, anyways, the, the uh, communities are a little bit Dr. Light, as you said, so yeah. they could use some more. Uh, thank you, Lee, for that. Sean in Richmond, Virginia writes, am I the only one wondering exactly how the hell Eugene's Walker smelting plan is working? It appears to just be a light coat over the head, and then it just kind of drips down over the shoulders and down the arms, locking the walker to the fence. How exactly is this keeping the walkers in one piece? When we first saw Negan address the issue, that particular walker fell apart waist down and was connected to the fence by a stake through the chest. These walkers appear to be connected somewhere around the mid-back section by the smelting process and were only covered from the shoulders up. Is this really just a fancier way of doing the exact same thing? How are they not still coming apart at the waist? Also, what benefit are they serving, really, if they can't move around anyway? If anybody wants to get in bad enough, they just pick a spot between two stationary walkers and cut the fence. 
Uh, Sean's right. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's been ridiculous from the beginning. Like the only way to really keep the zombies together is to completely encase them in some kind of metal to just, you know, uh, to hold all their guts in and every, all their body parts in, uh, all together. But you know, what's the difference between a completely encased zombie in metal and a statue of a zombie? Right. They can barely move. They can't move at all if they're encased yeah. in metal, right? But yeah, what you need is suits of armor. Uh, and then it just becomes a, super var- a suit of armor with like uh, zombie puddles in it after a while. Because it's not going to stop them from rotting. They're just going to, even if they're completely cased in, encased in metal, they're just going to rot. And it'll be like, uh, it'd be like a soup container of zombie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really get it. I mean, I, are they trying, are they thinking maybe though, they'll, they'll line the fence like all the way along with these, these zombies that are attached by molten or melted metal that's rehardened against the fence. I, I don't really get it either. Or is it just a scare tactic to like be intimidating? Well, that's the other thing is that, uh, Eugene actually did say that in this last episode that, uh, this zombie, uh, you know, the protocol the is good for the optics of it, you know, scaring people as in the don't mess with Texas, Texas variety, right? which is what he, what he said. So it's kind of, it's a good presentation, but not real security. So what he was doing uh, with that other guy was talking about real security. And then another guy got shot in the head, right? So that's, right. Uh, so there's two different things going on. There's the optics of security and then there's the real security. And I think Eugene understands the difference and what he's doing with the, uh, uh, with the zombies encased in metal is the, uh, the optics of security, you know, scaring people off. Right. But do you think Negan genuinely believes that this, this is like a great plan? Like Negan seems to be a little bit, um, not really short-sighted, but he's not thinking things through all the way. He's just like, the zombies keep falling apart. We need to try to keep them together somehow. And Eugene says, hey, let's encase them in metal. And they don't really do that anyways. But Negan seemed to love the idea. It, it is. It is short-sighted. It is. I don't know if he actually believes it, but now that, you know, he's seeing the plan be put into motion, he's got to recognize that this is a dumb plan. Yeah. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I feel like it would be a better plan just to create a moat of mobile zombies, two fences, fill that area with zombies that are walking around. That way, anyone needing to get through there needs to fight their way through. Right. Um, That's a good idea. You should be, uh, you should grow a mullet and then head over there and take Eugene out. Well, I could grow a mullet. I could grow a mullet, baby. So, okay. So there's two things here. Uh, One is uh, Negan might not understand that this is a dumb plan because I don't think that uh, Negan is uh, actually in charge anymore. It's it's Lucille that's in charge. And how smart can a bat be about uh, human, uh, human, rotting humans? Right. Or zombies. He doesn't know. It's just like, well, hold them up. I mean, what's, what's the problem? Right. You know? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, that what they're trying to do is preserve the zombies because they don't have a supply of fresh zombies. They get a supply of fresh everything else based on the, uh, on the groups that are surrounding them, like the, the Hilltop and Alexandria and, uh, all these different people. Why doesn't one of these uh, communities that they're overlords of be zombie providers? Your whole job is to get me truckloads of zombies 
and you bring them here on a regular basis, and we'll keep filling our moat or our, you know, yard full of zombies, and that's your whole job. If you don't provide zombies, you become zombies. Wow, that's a really good, I mean, from a savior perspective, that's a really good plan. Right. So they're, yeah, they're all hard up for zombies. It's like, they're not hard up for melons. They're not hard up for pigs. They're not hard up for, uh, you know, tridents, uh, because they have people providing them. So friggin' provide zombies. How hard is that? Yeah. In fact, to be the community that's responsible per- for providing walkers, that's probably the job you want. I mean, I mean, you, you do have to be careful in rounding them up and stuff like that, but all the food you find or grow or, or the, um, the livestock you cultivate, you get to keep all that. That's great. And all you have to yeah. do is go out and every time a zombie shows up your door, just use one of those, you know, dog catching poles and put it into a truck. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, you know, you have to find fresh zombies all the time because you can't find the rotting ones that are lying on the ground because, you know, those won't cut the muster. So they have to, uh, you have to find fresh, fresh zombies all the time. Yeah, that's fine. But I mean, if you're going out looking for supplies anyways, you're going to come across zombies. They're out there. Yeah. So I feel like that's the job you'd want. And I don't know why the saviors don't do that kind of thing. They need zombies and they have all these communities that are probably just killing them whenever they encounter them. So because of plot, well, I mean, we have a plot, right? Of course, of course. But yeah, well, it's just another thing to file in the old memory there for when the zombie apocalypse hits and I'm a leader, I'm the, a ruthless leader of a new community and I want to create a zombie moat around my uh, big building. All right, and then I'll grow a mullet and be your uh, chief security advisor. Sure, man. <laughs> All right, then. We'll we'll team up. <laughs> We've got the and, plan. And you and I can be Negan, but we will have to name it something else. I'll, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll go buy a bat and wrap it in barbed wire in the very near future. All right. Get that done. Perfect. Get that out of the way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Get that out of the way. <laughs> we'll go by the name Vegan. That, that'll be ironic and funny, right? Yeah. See? Good. <laughs> All right. Okay, so next we have an email from Christy in Halifax. I just finished listening to this week's show, and I think you guys have it wrong with Eugene. Eugene plans and thinks through situations to the minutest of details, and Eugene is committing to our group. He doesn't need to be rescued because he has a plan in motion to foil Negan. Are those reinforced zombies rigged to explode? What else has he se- is he secret- secretly doing there? I have faith in him and can't wait to find out what his plan is. I'm sure it'll be funny and entertaining as only Eugene can be. All right. So we've got a bunch of emails, at least the next few that are related to Eugene and what his plans are. So that one, Christine Halifax, is the first one. And she seems to steadfastly believe that he is still committed to our group. Uh, and our group being Rick and everybody, of course, and that he is working on the plan. Um, let's read the next one. It's Jenny in the great state of New Jersey. Jenny writes, my thought about Eugene is that he has his own brilliant plan. Let's not forget the elaborate scheme he made up with Abraham for protection. This man really knows how to survive and think on his feet. My, my hope is he has already begun to put his plan into action, getting close to Negan so he can take him down from the inside. He wouldn't have wanted to abandon his plan just to run, especially if he knows how he will be hunted down if he manages to escape. I really hope it is not just a matter of him doing what is best for him and him only. I hope it is not fear, but his loyalty to Abraham, the man who saved him and taught him so much, is what is driving him forward. 
Could he really just have forgotten and gotten over the brutal murder and terror of what Negan did to his protector and friend? I truly don't think so. My heart will break if he has. So before we get into the next couple, um, what do you think, Jason? Is, is, is Eugene working some sort of plan or is there not that much complexity to it? Is he just trying to stay where he feels safest? I don't think there's enough evidence either way. Uh, because, you know, he had the opportunity to make a pill to kill Negan, mm-hmm. right? And he made that pill to kill Negan, but didn't, but uh, it depends on whether he knew that it was a test or whether it was a test at all. So if it was a test and he knew about it, then it his part of his plan was to not actually deliver the pill, but to, uh, to give it up to Negan and uh, you know not kill him. But if it wasn't a test and he gave it up, then it means that he's with Negan. So it uh, there's too many moving parts here, I think, is overall what I'm trying to get at. It, I don't think we have enough evidence either way, at least not to convince me. Well, speaking of the pills, first of all, I think those pills have to come back at some point. I mean, why make such a big deal about him creating those pills and then not using them? He clearly still has them. Well, I guess maybe not clearly, but we never saw him dispose of them, right? So you got to think they still exist. And you don't go to that much trouble in an episode, you know, making such a big deal out of him creating those pills and then not using them for them not to come back at some point and play an important role. So he still has the pills and he's got to have to use them in some way, whether that's for Negan, for himself, or for some other character, we don't really know. So I do think the pills will play an important role. Um, but, uh, but the other thing about Eugene is, you know, you're right. There's, there isn't quite enough evidence yet to know what he's doing. And even if there was, I feel like, or even if, even what we do know, I feel it's all very kind of wishy-washy. It's not very clear at this point yet. And, uh, and he could be going either way, but I also think Eugene may not be the most sophisticated guy in the world. He's good at coming up with, with stories to protect himself. Yeah. But his whole goal is to protect himself and align himself with the person or the group that is most likely to protect him and most powerful. And for a while that was Abraham, but Abraham's dead now. And everybody in Alexandria is under Negan's thumb but he had an opportunity to go and work and be head engineering officer at, uh, at the savior's place. So he sees that as a way to protect himself, which I think actually might lead to him genuinely being Negan. Yeah. So like I say, there's, it's, there's compelling evidence to go, uh, that he's genuinely part of Negan's crew and there's compelling evidence to say that he's just working an angle and he's going to try and, uh, try to undermine Negan and, uh, Take the whole thing down from the inside. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even sure I could predict way, the way it's going to go, to be honest, because, yeah. because Eugene is a mysterious guy and maybe he'll step up. Maybe he won't. Maybe he intends to step up, but chickens out. Maybe he has no intention of stepping up and then he will when it comes right down to it. So I just have no idea how it's going to go. Me neither. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know what, uh, which way it's going to go though. I want to find out. Me too. I don't think we're going to find out on the next episode, but probably in the season finale. Yep. Which is only two weeks away, so. (laughs) It's coming up fast. Sure is. 
All right, next email is from Dan in Rhode Island. I'm not convinced that Eugene has made his final allegiance clear in this episode. When Rosita tries to get him out, he re- he responds. his response is simply, no, I'm not coming with you. I didn't ask you to come, so go. People got to be on route. Then he hurries back inside before they can be seen together without another word. You might think that if he's working an inside man angle, he would have let them know uh, about his secret plan at this point and tell them to go away before they ruin everything. But Eugene's awkwardness with his words, along with the stress of the situation, may have prevented him from doing this in the time allowed. I still think it's possible that Eugene will turn out to be working with Dwight on some kind of big sabotage. And even if it's not that, at least he will put be put in a position to redeem himself in the end when faced with a more direct choice between turning against Negan uh, or hurting his friends in the battle. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, Negan is going to expect him to, well, maybe not fight, but Negan would expect him if it came down to it, if he is in a situation where he has to hurt somebody or kill somebody to maybe protect Negan or even protect himself, you know, as a member of his crew, Negan would expect him to do that. But will Eugene be able to do that kind of thing when it comes right down to it? That is the big question and basically what I can't wait to find out. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey writes, I think there are a few reasons Eugene opted not to be saved by Rosita and Sasha. For starters, the saviors actually see him as someone of worth, as opposed to the cowardly burden our main group kept telling him he was. I'm sure a little bit of power has made Eugene feel good. Secondly, what is the point of leaving? The saviors would just end up searching for him, and if they were to find Eugene, he'd be dead. I'd rather live with the saviors as opposed to constantly hiding from them myself. And that's probably the only thing we can say for sure that we know because Daryl escaped. Daryl is a hunted man now and has to hide. He can't even go out in public, basically. And Eugene would be in the same boat, but probably far less equipped to, first of all, escape, (laughs) get anywhere by himself, and then live a life in hiding. That's true. But knowing Eugene, he'd find a place that was uh, that was excellent. Some kind of gymnasium full of MREs, for example, would be the perfect place for him to hole up for uh, for a while. Uh, yes, that would be fine. But I, I just don't know that he could handle that by himself. You know, that's the thing. And he knows that. So he thinks, here I am. At the very least, he thinks, here I am now. You know, what can I do? I might as well make the best of it here. He may not have any sort of plan that he's going to execute, but he knows that he's got another option, so he might as well make the best of it. Um, And uh, I feel like that's kind of Eugene's personality. He may not even want to be there, but he also doesn't want to rock the boat and get in trouble. Yeah, that's true. You know, so. Uh, Interesting. I'm, I'm excited to find out what happens to Eugene. And I do, if I had to say what I hope for, I hope it does come down to him making some sort of heroic choice. And I hope he survives. I hope he doesn't have to make a heroic choice and sacrifice his life for it. I want Eugene to stay on the show and I want Eugene to be a good guy. So I'm with you. Yeah. Be a good guy and stay on the show. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Well, now I lost where we were. How's this podcasting work? Did we do Matt already? We did. (laughs) Okay. So next we have a call. Uh, Juicy Goosey on the internet. Hey guys. um, One quick thought that might be a long shot, but... I want to mention it in case it happens. 
think about the possibility that uh, what's his name, the uh, wimpy guy that uh, stayed with the that pussy that <laughs> stayed with the uh, saviors guy with the mullet, the geeky guy. At the last moment, like buries an ice pick in the back of Neil Neelam's neck out of nowhere. You know, that would be a rare moment of uh surprise from from the makers of The Walking Dead. You know, maybe he <laughs> he's just had enough of being a wimp and uh after he saw enough people killed he's slowly got it in his head that that he's gonna deliver the final blow. That would be ironic, would it not? Um, anyways, that's it. Thanks. Ciao. I don't know about you, Jason, but I can't wait to see Eugene put an ice pick in the back of Neelam's head. I, I don't think it'll be an ice pick. I think that he'll take some molten metal and pour it over his, his noodle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I think he probably has been watching, um, Basic Instinct. That's the movie with the, uh, with the ice pick, right? The Sharon Stone movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, that had a nice pick in it. That had a nice pick in it. I never actually it. saw that whole movie. I think I only saw bits and pieces. I'm pretty sure I know which piece you saw. Anyhow, uh, ice pick to the back of Neelam's head. I'm really looking forward to that because that Neelam guy, he's a real yeah. prick. Yeah, he's he's a bastard. He's a real prick. All right, uh, let's move on to Crystal in Philadelphia. Crystal writes, a random thought about the episode, The Other Side. Do you think Dr. Carson number two is going to inadvertently spill the beans to the saviors that Maggie is still alive? I.e. randomly say, I'm caring for a pregnant woman to Negan. No. Doctor-patient confidentiality is pretty ingrained in doctors, I think. So uh, I think he's going to keep his trap shut. Well, did you have a feeling that when Simon was there collecting the doctor just before he dropped off the giant crate of aspirin, that maybe that doctor at that moment was about to spill the beans because I did. No, I didn't think for a second that he would spill the beans. He knows what he's doing. Well, I, I wouldn't spill the beans. I know, but I, I wasn't sure. Maybe the doctor is sort of out of the loop. Maybe he doesn't know exactly all of the ins and outs of what's going on there. And if he doesn't realize that Maggie and Sasha and Daryl are there actually in hiding, because he was saying, I can't leave. I have responsibilities to my patients here, such as the pregnant Maggie, who I need to to look after. Like, I kind of thought that was going to come out of his mouth and Simon, a light bulb would go off over his head and go, wait a minute, we're looking for someone who's pregnant, who's named Maggie and her friend with black, greasy hair. Yeah, not not for a second. I didn't think that was going to happen. I think that he's a smart guy and he knows when to keep his mouth shut and uh, he was going to keep his mouth shut. I, I didn't have any doubts. Okay. Well, I don't think there's going to be enough time in the next two episodes for this to happen, but you're probably right. He knows that, I I, I mean, I, I guess you have to think that basically everybody at the hilltop sort of knows the situation and knows that there are people there that they don't want, that don't want to be found. Yeah. I guess. So no, I don't think he's going to accidentally spill it, but I did worry about it in that scene because I wasn't quite sure if everybody was on the same page. Yeah, I'm not a professional doctor, but I know how to lie and I know how to keep my trap shut when uh, when things are happening <laughs> so that I don't get into trouble or I don't get anybody else into trouble. Extremely important uh, skill to have as a professional doctor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah, you know, you keep your you keep your patient's crap private. You don't spill the beans to any Simon that comes in the room. 
No, definitely not. Even if Simon says he wants to know. Oh my God! If Simon says, you got to tell him because <laughs> Simon said, right? Oh, that would be such a quandary. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do? Simon says, tell me what you know. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? I guess I have to tell you. Simon said. <laughs> That's the law. It sure is. All right. Next, we have an email from Eric uh, in upstate New York, but taking a nine-month working vacation in Germany. Uh, Eric writes, was it just me, or did they manage to turn the whole Sasha and Rosita thing into a 30-minute buddy cop movie? First, they hate each other's guts, and then they spend a few hours on a stakeout together and suddenly become best friends before one sacrifices themselves to keep the other safe. It all seemed a little too rushed to me. Otherwise, it was a great episode. I see the thing about uh, Sasha and Rosita is I don't feel like any of it felt rushed in this episode. I thought there was a ton. I thought their scenes took forever. Maybe in the overall arc of things, they went from absolutely hating each other to being on the same page and having each other's back a little bit quickly. But I, I... I don't know. I, I almost wish their stuff was spread out over a few episodes or something like everything we got here could have started earlier and maybe wrapped up in the next episode or something just to spread it out a bit. Cause to me, it just, it was too much all at once. And then just the whole concept of it being sort of a buddy cop movie and how they transitioned from hating each other to loving each other was a little bit formulaic in my opinion. And I think I was getting at that in the, uh, in the recap podcast that it just didn't feel like anything new. You could kind of see it coming. And and then what they did at the end where Sasha goes in and locks out Rosita after after they discuss the plan and agree to work on it together, you know, why did they have to do that? Couldn't they just see it through together as new friends? And I think I would have liked that better, but... If it was a buddy cop movie, that's what would happen in the end. So maybe we're going to get uh, part two next week. Uh, oh, you know, of the buddy cop movie where they, they meet back up and go back to back against a, a sea of, uh, you know, enemies. And they just, they'd be like a big spinning camera, like a Michael Bay movie. I'm thinking bad boys. And they, they are up against insurmountable odds or what seem like insurmountable odds, right? And there's no way they can survive, but they hold hands and drive off that cliff together. That's and, right. That's uh, because they love each other so much. That, right. That, that, that's right. So you, you maybe you went we to will. Thelma and Louise though, right? That they weren't cops, you know. Yeah, I know that. I know, but the <laughs> the, the the feeling, the emotion, is what I was right. getting at, right? We're in this together, and it's going to be Rosita, Sasha and Rosita, part two, the reckoning, and uh, everything will be everything will be good between them. Okay, so you're actually, I think, I think you're thinking of uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid when they <laughs> jump off the cliff. And it's just like. They're standing there at the edge of the cliff, and he says, I can't swim. It's like, don't worry about it. The fall will probably kill you. I've never seen it, so I, I wasn't. Oh, my God. You got to watch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Such a good movie. That's the movie they referenced on this show a few episodes ago with the big trailer, though, wasn't it? The big trailer? We talked about that, where uh, Richard and Daryl are arguing because Richard wants to attack the saviors on the road, which will lead them to Carol, and then right. Daryl prevents him from doing it. There's a busted-out truck there, big trailer. Oh, yeah. No, no, that was, uh, that's not Butch Cassidy. That was... Uh... That was Cannonball Run, you're thinking of. No, no, it was Butch Cassidy. We, we, I haven't seen it, but listeners pointed that out to me and us. I'm positive, man. No, there was a truck on the, 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 the side of the trans, there's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is a cowboy movie. It doesn't take place with, there's no truck. 
Oh, come on. What what is it? Then then what was that trailer? I can't believe we've screwed this up already. Yeah, it's Cannonball not Cannonball Run. Damn it. Um <laughs> Smokey and the Bandit. Smokey and the Bandit. Okay, there we go. God. <laughs> I I think my memory's getting worse. Yeah. Is it, is it age or is it like, am I, I don't know. Am I just not sleeping, getting enough sleep or something? I don't know. You've been banging your head against the wall, like I said. Oh yeah. I should probably stop doing that. <laughs> no, uh, start. Oh. You, can, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta knock the memory back into your head. You can't oh, knock it out. I see. All right. Just <laughs> knock the brains, shake hey, the brain cells around remember that. God. All right. I'm sorry, everybody. I'll try to do better. Um, where are we? Watch all those movies, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Smokey and the Bandit, Cannonball Run, and uh, The Walking Dead, because <laughs> that's all we referenced. Yeah, okay. I'll watch all those uh, over the summer. Okay, good. Um, I think it's... Michael in London. Michael in London, but it's my turn? It is. All right. Gregory, although he is a bit of a toe rag, he could have told the saviors a number of times that Maggie, Glenn, Sasha, and Enid were there, but chooses not to. I don't think it's because he is frightened of what the saviors will do to him. I think it's because he secretly wants our group to take the saviors down and therefore is sheltering them. Also, showing Simon that he's taking into account things Simon may like could be another way of bluffing that they are on the same page. So this email brings up a good point. We have Gregory on one hand saying to the group, I am, I don't, like, I don't know you guys. I'm going to pretend this meeting never happened. You guys aren't here. Telling them to constantly leave. They, of course, refuse to leave. All he has to do is tell Simon that, you know, they're here. And that place, they're going to search that place until they find them. Yet he doesn't do that. So why is he kind of playing both sides? I don't know. Maybe he's a hero after all. No, he's not a hero. He's a cowardly small little man who you, whom you love to hate or hate maybe, to hate. You know, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's the whole point. Maybe he's coming across as that in order to, uh, to be the hero. He's, he, you know, he's taking the, it's, he's got to be the, uh, the man they need and not the man they want. Well, I think, I think maybe Michael's onto something, right? You know, he's, he's playing both sides. He knows that if the saviors weren't there or didn't exist, his life would be better because he wouldn't have to live. He wouldn't have their shadow over him all the time. Right. But he also doesn't want to do it himself. He doesn't want to be involved and he just wants someone else to solve his problems for him, which is what kind of makes him a uh, puny little cowardly wiener man. Toe rag. Or a toe rag. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever that is. I don't know. Probably a British thing. Uh, So, so I can, I can see Maybe where Gregory's coming from, he wants someone else to solve his problem for him, and he knows that if he gives up the people that he's sheltering, then they won't be there to solve his problem for him anymore, so he's sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. True. I don't know. I think he's playing the long game, and he's going to come out a hero in the end. He's going to sacrifice himself, and he's going to die, but I think he's going to come out the hero in the end. Oh, I hope not. I mean, can't somebody... They don't need to make everybody a hero. They just... I think it's okay to have a character who is a coward and stays that way. You know, a guy whom you don't like and you don't ever have to like. And if he dies, you're happy that he's dead. I think that's how Father Gabriel is going to go out. But they've made Father Gabriel likable, more likable than he ever has been. 
Yeah, but he so hasn't died yet. That's the thing. They can't keep building him up until he dies. They're going to build him up until we think, oh, he's dead. And then they're going to tear him back down. And he's going to be a sniveling ass for a while. And then uh, and then he's probably just going to give up and say, just leave me here. I want to be a zombie. Screw it. I don't know. Father Gabriel, he's been up and down so much in this show. I don't know what to think of him anymore. Like, one episode, you think he's a total douche. In the next episode, he's... He's uh, leading Rick to the scavengers, which may in fact be their like saviors in this battle. <laughs> we haven't so. seen uh, one of our uh, you know major cast members or even you know secondary cast members become a zombie in a long time. That's very true. I mean, I know Shane became a zombie. That was an awfully long time ago. Well, the last one was uh, uh, Tova. What was her name? Um, oh her yeah, name Deanna. 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 Tova Felcha. Uh, that's true. So. Who's up? Father Gabriel? Father Gabriel, I'm telling you. No, what, you know what? what? I could see them doing that with Gregory. I could totally see that with Gregory. The really? Dude, I don't know. The dude feels like a zombie already to me in a way. I could see it. In fact, I think that's <laughs> going to happen for sure. We're going to see Gregory as a zombie. And some. And what I hope happens is somebody just nonchalantly kills him and there's like no ceremony or emotion around it at all. But they probably won't do that. Someone will probably have to step up. Probably Jesus, to be honest, will probably have to take out Zombie Gregory. Don't you think? Uh, yeah. What if Jesus has to take out uh, Father Gabriel? How ironic would that be? Jesus taking out a priest? <laughs> yeah. I kind of hope they do that. <laughs> I like that idea. All right. Uh, okay, so next we have uh, an email from Vicky on the internet. I thought it was strange that after Rosita told Sasha she made the necklace for Abraham, Sasha looked at it and tucked it in her top. I think Sasha should have given the necklace back to Rosita. After all, it is a necklace Rosita made for Abraham to show him how uh, her love for him. Why would Sasha want to keep a necklace between two people and neither of those people are her? Yeah, why would Sasha want a love necklace between two people and neither of those people are her? So, it's yeah. a good point, you know? I mean... <laughs> Fine, he gave it to me. I don't care if you gave it to him. Finders keepers, uh, you know, lovers giver keepers. I don't know. It's, it is... It's a rule. I don't think that's... I don't think that Can even... Can I re-gift something that somebody gave me, uh, you know, a girlfriend gave me and I give it to another girlfriend? Am I allowed to do that? Can I root through all my crap and find stuff that uh, old girlfriends have given to me and then wrap it up and give it to my wife? Is that legal? I think you can do that. I'm not sure I would recommend doing that. Uh, yeah. Well, it all depends on how much I tell Jenny where it came from, right? <laughs> absolutely. In this case, Rosita and Sasha both know the history of that necklace. And now Sasha has it. When you would think maybe she wouldn't necessarily want it, or she'd maybe want to give it back to her new best friend. That's kind of weird overall. Yeah. It's okay. kind of a weird situation. Like, I've had ex-girlfriends give me necklaces. Necklaces? Yes. And, uh, you know, if I found one and then gave it to my wife, that'd be weird. It would. What if you just started wearing it now? Uh, that's like the way worse situation. I don't know. It's equally weird, though. It is equally weird. So you should probably dig up all the stuff ex-girlfriends have given you, have a little fire in your backyard, and well, get rid of it. Well, it's theoretical. I can't think of anything in boxes and crap that, uh, that is gifts <laughs> that uh, the ex-girlfriends have given me. But I'm sure there's something, right? I'm Probably. 
You have a lot of ex-girlfriends, so probably. Well, I have a lot of crap <laughs> in boxes, but I did a purge a number of years ago and threw away a lot of shit that I did not need. And a lot of that shit probably was crap that ex-girlfriends had given me. Feels good to throw away shit you don't need, eh? I love doing that. It does, it does, it does. It always is very nice. All right. I, I, anyways, I think the necklace was just used as a prop device to, you know, to to have a, a stake between these two characters or have something between them that they have to over had had to overcome, and right. they they overcame it very quickly. I think, uh, at least quickly within the bigger time frame, even though it took forever in the episode. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next up is Chris in the UK. I've heard a few people say the Maggie Daryl conversation was a little rushed, but I'd like to offer a different perspective. As a Brit, I empathize with Daryl's difficulties dealing with his emotions. You couldn't have a long, deep conversation about how he's feeling. That conversation needs to be over fast because Daryl is hating every second of it. The only quibble I've got is that Maggie's explanation of why it wasn't Daryl's fault wasn't especially compelling. I'd have gone with a stronger it's Negan's fault message there. Yeah. Rather than a we all wanted to kill him, but you're the one who happened to jump up and take a swing. Yeah, it's Negan's fault. Negan swung the bat. It's Negan's fault. Of course. He did the killing. You know, it's no one made him do that. No one forced his hand to swing that bat. Negan killed Glenn. Daryl just feels really bad about it. Yeah, if you want to, I mean, if you want to assign blame based on what, happened and you want to go back far enough you could blame Negan's parents you could blame the guy that made the bat you uh, like the, the the actual guy in the factory that was you know the bat making factory that spun the lathe and made the bat and then printed the logo on it you could blame that guy because mm-hmm. it's partly his fault you could guy you could blame the guy that made his shoes you could blame his uh, Negan's great great grandparents you could blame Daryl's parents for having given birth to him because if Daryl wasn't there uh you know you could assign blame in concentric rings outward until it's pretty much everybody's fault. Yep. Yeah. So you focus on the, on the blame to the actual act. Negan swung the bat. It's his goddamn fault. (laughs) That's right. I accept blame for things that I do based on decisions that I've made. And that's it. Right. All Daryl did was throw a punch. He didn't tell Negan to do anything else. He didn't swing that bat. Yeah, that's true. So, um, Back to what Chris had to say, you know, it's Negan's fault, really, is what it comes down to. Yeah, don't talk about Daryl's emotions. Just say it's somebody else's fault. Don't worry about it, buddy. Don't worry about it, but they are okay now. They're back to, uh, they're back to being good buddies. They're back it's to It's okay, friends. buddy. You were probably tired. <laughs> That's right. We were all <laughs> feeling that way. We didn't know who was going to get clobbered. You know, it'll be okay. All right, next we have an email from Kevin in Chicago. Man, the saviors really suck. Uh, is it really possible that there could be that many assholes in one populated area? Likewise, they have survived up to this point, found one, one another, and started the mega, mega asshole group? Whatever you think the answer is, I think we all can agree that it's going to be sweet, sweet victory when our heroes take them down. Everything is leading up to their defeat, uh, which will, in my mind, serve as a great way to end the series as well. Groups coming together to defeat evil and build a better future together. Solid farewell and a message uh, to the world, I'd say. 
Yeah, it sounds like Kevin is saying that the show should end after season seven. Maybe it should. We'll, we'll, the only, uh, only time will tell. Only perspective will, uh, will let us know when this series should have ended. At the end, uh, we get, that's absolutely true. When we're talking about the season eight or season nine uh, finale, we or may- 12. Or 12, yeah. We may look back and think, boy, that season seven finale should have been it. Because he's right. Like, groups coming together, humanity teaming up, or the good people- as you know let's just assume these are the good people teaming up to take down the evil and they do let's assume they do and then they rebuild society together that's that's an ending but it's not going to be an ending because we have at least one more season of this show that's already uh being worked on so i don't know but at the same time i do think it could it be could it be possible that there are that many assholes in one populated area Oh, I'm pretty sure it's possible. Oh, the the asshole uh, population in any uh, group, the, the per capita asshole is probably uh, quite high. <laughs> yes, I think you're probably right. From my experience, there are a lot of nice people that I surround myself with, but the assholes per capita is probably higher than you think. Yeah, and there's always nice guys finish last and uh, assholes stick together. <laughs> <laughs> sounds that, came, that sounded it sounded better in my head before I, it came so, out. Sounds kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, thank you, Kevin, for sending that in. So we got an email now from Gary in Sunny Bolton, UK, and this is going back about how the scavengers speak some more. Gary says, "My two cents regarding the scavengers' weird talking. I just take it that being scavengers, they have to be quiet when uh, on when doing runs." So they use military hand signals, go there, stop, etc. So they've pruned their vocabulary down to the essentials. Why this would happen in such a short time frame, however, is a mystery. Does that make any sense? They're sort of... Uh, well, the hand signals make sense. Talking in less words uh, is just 1984 uh, Big Brother stuff. Right, because hand signals are just that. They don't involve talking, you know? You're you're pointing, you're holding up different numbers of fingers, you're waving, you're doing whatever with your hand, but they're yeah. trying to... The, the most important one is this. What's that I'm mean? waving at the camera, it's ceasefire. It's uh, putting your hand palm out and moving your arm up and down. That's ceasefire. Okay. That's an important one. And then when you, uh, and on the top of your head, uh, if you pat your head, it means on me, which means come over here, I want to talk to you. I see. All right. Well, I, I but don't But you don't do that to a superior officer. That's like downhill. You, your subordinates, you tell your subordinates to come to you because you do not tell a superior to come over here. You always you go, go to, to them. them. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, there have to be rules, but I, I just think, you know, the hand signals are a great idea. I'm sure. I mean, we've even seen Rick and, and everybody use hand signals when they're doing something, right? Yeah. But the hand signals don't really translate into into speaking a different way. I don't no. think anyways, unless they're trying to emulate hand signals in their speech, but what would be the point of that really? Yeah. I don't you want to see good use of hand signals? Watch Band of Brothers. I've seen 50% of it. You should watch the other 50%. I should probably did see. You, did you watch like the first 50% or the last 50% or like inter, interlaced 50%? I watched the first half of all 12 episodes or 10 or whatever there are. Okay. So you got what? The Battle of the Bulge and that was <laughs> no, it? No, I didn't do that. I watched the first five or six episodes and then got distracted and never went back. You should go back. It's good, 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 good. I know, I know, I know. So 
Anyways. But lots of hand signals. Yeah. No, I'm sure there are. Uh, and I'm sure it's amazing. But they don't speak in weird stunted sentences. So I don't think we still have a an explanation for what the hell the scavengers are doing. Yeah, because they were in uh, they were in the uh, the the European theater for uh, a while, and uh, you know, much like the zombie apocalypse, uh, you know, all hell is breaking loose, and you're fighting a determined and capable enemy, and uh, they didn't learn to speak in weird ways. Uh, no, definitely not. We had a listener um, from Rochester, New York, write an email in. Uh, apparently, he does a uh, not apparently, he does, in fact, do a radio show out of Rochester. Yep. And he had the actress uh, on their radio show, because she's from Rochester, the one, not the one who plays Jadis, but the one who plays Jadis's right-hand woman. Yep. Uh, it was confirmed that this character is the one who was wearing the boots, who we saw spying on Alexandria. Well, that's good to know. That was Boots, yeah, the character. And... Bootsy, we'll call her Bootsy. Okay, Bootsy, why not? And uh, on the radio show, the clip he sent in, I listened to it. It was great, by the way. But he asked her, what's the deal with the scavenger's way of speaking? And she couldn't really answer him. She didn't really have an answer. She would just sort of confirm that, yeah, they speak funny. So that either means she's not quite clear on what she's allowed to say, or she just doesn't want to say anything that might give anything away, or she's has specifically been instructed not to give that away because it's going to come up, you know, later in this, in the show. Yeah. That's my, that third one is what I'm thinking is that if she kind of, uh, skirted around the issue and didn't give a reason why, or a plausible reason why, because actors think about this stuff, right? They don't just, you know, show up and say lines. They think about their character. They think about why their character says these things, what their motivations are, all that kind of stuff. So she knows why her character speaks that way. She's just not saying yeah. for whatever reason. I think that might be it. Uh, I found it here. So it's Paul in Rochester, New York, and he's on 95.1 radio in Rochester. And he they were interviewing Sabrina Gennarino, uh, which is the actress who, who plays that role. So uh, check that out if you want um, on Radio 95.1 in uh, Rochester. Maybe I'll post a link to that with this uh, with this episode on the site. Sure. So we will, you know, I have a feeling we might find out a little bit more about those saviors, if any of them, sorry, those uh, scavengers, if any of them survive the battle. Yep. And I imagine some will. Well, there's enough of them and they have a helipad, so some of them have to survive. <laughs> yeah. They must have a helicopter, you know. Well, so. they got to explain it because they wouldn't, you don't show something on TV without explaining it, right? <laughs> no, never. That's never happened before. Well, not, you know, not on purpose. I'm looking at you, Lost. <laughs> what? They didn't show, what did they show that they didn't explain? Well, there was an awful lot unexplained in Lost, but that could be a whole other podcast. And it has been, so go out and find that somewhere. So, like, like why, uh, um, why Locke saw a white smoke monster when we never eventually ever saw one? Because he said that when he first time he saw the smoke monster before we ever saw what it looked like, and he described it to somebody else, he said it was white or light. Oh, really? See, I don't even remember that. But yeah, that kind of thing. White smoke monster. I was monster. waiting for a light, dark, you know, the whole thing was yin-yang, light versus dark. And I thought there was a dark smoke monster and a light smoke monster, but damn it, there's no light smoke monster. What the hell's wrong with the 
friggin' Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse bastards. I still love the show, though. <laughs> still love that TV show. I can't help it. I still know the showrunners. It's been a long time. I should watch that whole series again. You should. All right, but before that, uh, we're going to get to our last email here. Uh, this one's about Heath. Uh, Ryan from Brisbane, Australia. Everyone keeps saying Sasha is going to die She's on uh, since she's on uh, a new show, or she's got a new show to go to, which makes sense, except the same could be said of Heath. He landed the gig on 24 Legacy, uh, and instead of killing him off, they just had him disappear with some mystery surrounding it. Of course, I don't think Tara has even mentioned his disappearance since her, her, her return to Alexandria. I don't recall anyone asking her about it. Uh, it will be interesting to see if they actually do follow up on that story thread. So this didn't really bother me until Ryan pointed it out that, yeah, Heath just disappears. Tara comes back and doesn't say anything to anybody. Like I, I was with Heath. Like they specifically went on a run together. Everyone knows that they were going to be gone yep. for two weeks. And then she comes back without him and nobody's like, wait a minute, where's Heath? It's stupid, actually, yeah. when you think about it's it. It's the same thing as uh, Maggie's sister there when she went missing. Nobody just, nobody cared about her. Nobody mentioned her. What uh, what was her character's name, Emily Kinney? Beth. Beth. Thank you, my friend. Uh, you know, nobody asked about Beth. Maybe just people don't give a shit if people go missing. It's like, ah, they're missing. Fuck them. Yeah, I know. And th- we, we did complain about that a lot with, with uh, Maggie not seeming to be too concerned about her sister. But at least... Well, maybe it isn't different at all. I was going to say, at least in that case, maybe it felt sort of more hopeless. Like she was taken away. Nobody knew where to look even. And so like, what could they do really? Maggie was sort of privately off camera grieving. (laughs) Right. But in this case, they went out together. They got separated. She knows roughly where, right? And then she comes back and... Even if they're not, even if they don't think they could find him, nobody even said, wait a minute, what happened? Like, where is he? Why didn't he come back with you? Maybe we should look for him. Oh, we can't because he could be anywhere. That'd be okay. But no, that hasn't even happened. Yeah, nobody, nobody cares. It just feels missing. Forget it. It feels like nobody cares at all. And uh, that sort of bothers me now that Ryan has really pointed it out. Um, maybe there hasn't been time yet. Maybe there's, they're too busy, too distracted dealing with all this Negan stuff. Um, but you know, Tara's been there. She had a, she had a scene with Rick where they asked where Rosita was. Rosita went missing like two minutes earlier, (laughs) you know? Right. Why not make that scene a little longer? And they talk about Heath as well. And then Rick says something like, well, hopefully he's okay. After we deal with this Negan guy, we'll go searching for Heath. Yeah, that would have been a good three seconds that tied that all up in a nice bow. But they didn't do it. And I don't know if if they, this will be one of the only times that someone on the show has just walked away and never come back if they don't address it. And uh, I kind of hope they do because Heath is I cool. I kind of hope they do too, yeah. So, all right. Well, that is it. Thank you so much, everyone, for sending in your feedback. Our next podcast will be on Monday when we recap episode number 15, the penultimate episode for season seven. Mm -hmm. And this one is called Something They Need. So if you want to hear your voice on the podcast saying the title of the episode, record yourself and I will play as many title reads as I can on Monday night. Something They Need is Pickles. 
Well, Eugene has tons of pickles, remember? I know. And that's what the whole thing is going to be about. It's going to be about rescuing Eugene and his jar of pickles. Something they need. What do you think this refers to? I mean, I have to think, I have not seen the previews for next week, but I have to think that the Oceanside community is involved somehow because we know Tara was about to tell Rick about that. So let's say they go there and they talk to Oceanside and the Oceanside people say, well, we'll help you, but first you have to get us something. Oh my God, it's a side quest. Another side quest. They got to do a side quest in order to get the guns, in order to be able to uh, get the scavengers on board so that they can fulfill their main quest. Oh my God. You, it's almost as bad as if somebody had to level up first and they were, you know, chopping trees and, and making shields so that they could sell them at the market and get a little bit of experience. <laughs> okay. Well, the scavengers needed guns. They got them their guns. Oceanside has tons of guns. So what do they need? I, I don't know. So they're, but pickles. whatever, <laughs> pickles, I guess, whatever it is they need, they're going to have to get them, get it for them. Yeah. And, you know, the scavenger side quest took two episodes. We don't really have two yeah. episodes of time left. So it, it's all going to have to wrap up, you would think, in this one. And then the final season finale will be, you know, everything coming to a head. So, yeah, this is all typical RPG bullshit. It really is. Yeah, you got to do this side quest before you can get back to the main quest. Right. Then what do they have to solve a mystery, probably? It would be like, okay, well, I'll give you the guns, but, uh, you know, we got this murder mystery that we really need to solve. So, uh, you know, if you help us out, we'll give you the guns, and then you can give the guns to them, and then get them on board, and then we'll all go uh, hunt the uh, uh, the main bad guy. Maybe this whole everything... got to kill the henchmen first before they can get to the boss fight, right? Right, of course. You have to get through the henchmen until you get to yeah. the boss fight. Maybe this, everything we just said about Heath is totally moot and Heath will be back next week because he disappeared, you know, sort of in that episode where Tara met Oceanside. So maybe he re- reappears when they go back to Oceanside. And then dies because he's on 24 Legacy. And then probably dies. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's it. Heath is going to be back this week and that'll be his uh, swan song. Is that what they call it? Swan song? Sure, I don't understand. Why not? Final appearance before <laughs> before he's dead. Yeah, I, I don't know. All I've right. heard the phrase. I don't know what it means. Well, the episode is called Something They Need, so record it if you'd like. Fire it into us, and I'll uh, try to play it on Monday's podcast. Otherwise, in the meantime, if you want to send feedback or comments or thoughts into us, uh, we love that. Visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com and click on Send Voicemail to send in some voice messages to us. You can also send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Talking Dead and uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. You know, with the Twitter, if you want to tweet at us, the best time to do it is not Sunday nights because everybody tweets at Talking Dead thinking they're getting in touch with AMC's show called Talking Dead. So I pretty much just have to ignore Sunday nights. But the rest of the week, I try to take a look and respond to people and stuff like that because I know it's for us and it's not for them. People still use Twitter? Yes, more than ever, I think. Huh. People still Who do. Who thought? Well... They still do. They're I'm probably still into that Facebook thing too, too, right? Yeah, they are. I'm really bad at Twitter. I'm a little bit better at Facebook, but I'm trying to be better at Twitter. And Jason, I think you should log into your Twitter account and see how many notifications you have. Keep it active so I don't lose it. Yeah, something like that. 
people tweet you once in a while, man. And so, and you know, no one ever hears back from you and I feel bad for them. <laughs> yeah, if anybody has any idea what my Twitter password is, let me know. <laughs> yes. It's not the one you use for everything? Uh, no. <laughs> well, it might be, I guess so. Probably. All right. Anyways, that's how to get in touch with us. Uh, like I said, we'll be back on Monday and maybe Jason will have figured out his Twitter password by then. Uh, we'll find out. I know you're all on pins and needles wanting to know. But until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>